was not one who cared how far my soul was from Jesus in silence deep with my soul in despair sweetly a voice whispered Jesus yes I must be saved I must be saved even thank the Lord I must be saved for Jesus The night shades around me would fall, leaving my soul cold and lonely, trying to feel that I needed no help, and still that voice whispered, No me. I must be saved. Come on, church, let's entertain him. I must be saved. I must be saved for Jesus' sake. Forgive me, Lord. Hide all my sin. I must be saved for him. Once I had thought that I'd wait for old age Ere I'd surrender, be steady Then came the thought, what if God called my soul And deep in sin, I'm not ready <laughs> I must be saved, I must be saved, I must be saved, for Jesus' sake, forgive me, Lord, hide all my sin, I must be saved, for Opening your Bibles with me today, as you reverently stand with your Bible open to the 57th chapter of Isaiah's sister, Sorrel's place softly for just a few moments. I feel the Holy Ghost and I felt a destiny in this meeting. I Lord, please. Purge me of everything that's not like you. Lord, let me be pure. Come on, let's love the Lord together, shall we, brethren? Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. Lord, this is important. We want to be used, Lord. We want to be used. We want to be used, dear Lord. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's just wait on him for a few moments and let's get our minds totally gathered together on the reading of his word. There's power in the word. This is anointed whether I am or not. But I want to be anointed too. I want to be anointed. How many feel the anointing of the Lord here right now? How many feel the anointing right now? Come on now, let's thank Him for the anointing. The anointing will make the difference. The anointing will make the difference. Isaiah, the 57th chapter, the 15th verse. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also, that is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive, let's say to revive, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. For a little while today, I want to preach to you from this subject. Brokenness. Price of revival. Get a hold of your brother's hand. You sisters, get a hold of a sister's hand. I'm not talking about pity party tears. I'm talking about tears that touch the heart of God and that the heart of God can touch you and that we can touch a world. That's what we need to, today that God would give us true humility and contrition. Master, I believe you today, Lord. We take dominion over every spirit that would hinder the delivery of the Word of God. We pray that every heart would be opened, O oh God. Every heart that you would open each of us, Lord, today to the reception of your Word. That it won't just be in our minds and lodged there. But God, somehow, that we would truly understand the dimension of a burden. Let it move beyond our head and get into our heart. And Lord, let it move from our heart into hands and feet. And out into this world that we can impact our day. And we ask it in Jesus' name. You may be seated. I've thought about revival so much in recent years, and of course in the many years gone by, I've tried to write about revival, and I've tried to preach about revival, and I've, I feel I do have a reasonable grasp on what it's all about. But oh, I'm so hungry. For a real move of God. I enjoy great church services. I enjoy it. I love to worship God. I enjoy it. This is all I want to do. This is all I'm interested in. I'm not uh, so uh, spiritual that I don't have other interests as well. I enjoy many things. I enjoy having fun. I enjoy doing things to, to make others happy. But I'm going to tell you what my hunger really is focusing on. I believe that we need to see more in our own individual ministries. I'm, I'm, I don't want to say I'm totally sick of myself because, you see, I don't want the enemy to get any idea that I have any, any entertaining thoughts that wouldn't give the Lord the credit for what he's already done. I'm going to tell you, anytime somebody prays through to the Holy Ghost, it's an important thing. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. But we struggle so many times with this subject of revival. And I, 
I told you last evening it took me about 17 messages to preach my way through an understanding afresh. I preached about revival fires in the church. I preached about the pattern of revival, the phenomenon of revival, another subject, the possibility of revival, the promise of revival, the prayer for revival, the prelude to revival, the purpose of revival. I tried to talk to you about that last night. The power of revival, the peril of revival, the principle of revival, the picture of revival, the plenitude of revival. But when you begin to look at the scope of revival and all that it entails, somewhere along the line, God has to get a message through to us that this isn't just something, this is something that costs something. It's not going to happen any other way than through paying the price. I'm going to tell you what, there are no bargain basement revivals. We must have a move of God if we're going to experience the apostolic move that we see is so needed in our world today. When you really begin to pray through and get a touch of God in your life, some things that seem to trouble you so much don't seem to affect you near so much. I heard a while back, you know, that you can measure people by the size of things that bother them. And I thought, God, I'm not going to let hardly anything bother me anymore. I'm going to just put my mind on you, Lord, and try to seek you and these things that have troubled me. And I've struggled over maybe sometimes not being able to figure everything out. And trying to understand what really goes on in this great big world. I'm going to tell you what today. I believe that we need to begin to focus more on Jesus Christ than we ever have. I want a touch of God. I don't want to just preach sermons. I don't want to just be content to have good church services. I want that, my friend. But oh my God, do something in my spirit that would help me to really impact my world <laughs> Brother Lumpkin I remember a few years ago when I was a executive presbyter I was conducting business up in the, the Canadian provinces and they're forming a new district and Brother Urshan had asked me to go and conduct that first uh, conference there and uh, that particular day I had preached and I felt such a touch of God And uh, you know, how many of you preachers like to feel a touch of God when you preach <laughs> Oh, I want to feel the touch of God, don't you? How many feel the touch of God here right now? In that service, I saw a man from one of the other provinces there that I knew he wasn't from that particular province and went back to the hotel and was going to relax a few minutes. And Brother Yance and I were seated there talking and there came a rap at the door and I went to the door. And here standing there in the doorway was a minister that he said, Brother Grisham said, I heard you were going to be here. He said, I drove over here to see you. And tears began to come in his eyes. He said, you know, Brother Grisham, in 1975, when you, were, when you were up in the Canadian Plains, and he said you preached a message at that conference up there in 1975 on the Eagle. I said, oh, I sure do. He said, Brother Grisham, he said, you'll never know how many times I've played that tape over. He said, Brother, he began to cry, and I, I could sense he was uncomfortable about crying standing there in the hallway. And when he began to weep and cry... I began to weep and cry because the Holy Spirit anointing was really there. Hallelujah. I said, come on in, man. Have a seat here. How many of you can remember some particular message that just put you back up on on the street again? Put you back up there where the Lord wanted you again? You would have despaired had it not been for that particular message. I may be preaching to somebody today that God wants to put you back on the target and put you back into the dimension that He's had for you a long time. And so 
I said, just have a seat there for a few minutes. And I said, don't be ashamed of those tears. I said, they're worth a million dollars to you. And we talked for a little while and we prayed for a little while. And I sat there, precious man of God. And then he bid me goodbye and I went on with the other people to get something to eat. And out there, the snow piled high on different sides of the street and around the entrance to the hotel. I looked out into the middle of the street and here was this old rusted out, beat up old car. This pitiful looking old car. And I saw two teenage girls uh, out in the back of it and a woman with them. And they were trying to get this old beat up car started. And oh, I'm going to tell you something smote me. It was this man that had driven all that way over there just to say thank you for a message that was preached in 1975. I'm going to tell you what, my friend, one of the things that's most powerful in our life, if we could somehow maintain a level of thankfulness for what God has done. Hallelujah. When you're thankful. You see, a person that's not thankful can do a little more than inform God. They can't pray. They can give God a grocery list or tell Him how much the bills are. But unless you're thankful, you can't pray. But oh, when you come before the presence of God and you whole, whole have a whole list of things to tell Him what you're thankful about, what you're praising Him for, then you can pray, then you can pray, then you can get the attention of God. Oh, let's praise Him, shall we? <laughs> a while back I preached a sermon that I was so ashamed of that I, I literally moped around for three days mumbling to myself I told the Lord I said Lord I'm so ashamed Lord that's the sorriest sermon I've ever preached in my life but if you'll give me the Wednesday to get something really good I'm going to do better for you, Lord. When I'm there Wednesday, you can mark it down, Lord. It'll be better than it was Sunday. I know I'm preaching to you today. We've all been there from time to time. But oh, I'm going to tell you what. On Wednesday, I was waiting to get back in the pulpit. I, I drove around telling the Lord how sorry I was that I didn't do better. <laughs> and I got to church and there was a lady motioning me over where she's standing. She said, Pastor, I need to talk to you about something. I walked over there and she reached out her hand. She said, Pastor, she said, I got to tell you something. That message you preached Sunday was the best sermon you've ever preached ever in this church. And I backed off and I got her in focus and my bifocals. And I thought, Lord, I got more problems than I thought about. But oh, then it just occurred to me that it was the Word of God. It was the Word of God. It was the precious Word of God. It was the precious Word of God. I want to have a good delivery. I want to be anointed. But I'm going to tell you what. God can do His, His work if we have a heart that's right toward Him. You see, there's just two avenues that go to the throne every day. One avenue is the avenue of an accuser. And the other avenue is an avenue of an intercessor. There's people that go to God every day. Satan goes there every day according to Scripture. He's constantly up there. He got there ahead of you, you know. He's just telling him, boy, Grisham's no good. He's no good. Howard's no good. Morgan's no good. But oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, somebody shows up at the throne and says, oh yes, they are. They're all right. They're good people. God loves them. I'm going to tell you what, my friend, today, I want to be very sure when I go to the throne, I don't want to go there with just a bunch of list of bad things about people and complaints against a brother. I want to go there and say, oh Lord, I want to be here to represent my brother. I want to be here to represent my friend. I want to be here to represent the one that needs you today. I don't have any complaints. 
thanks, Lord. I want to be here to represent the good things of God. You see, in the dispensation of time in which we presently live, according to my Bible, we are, are given the ministry of reconciliation. When people see you coming or me coming, they ought to think that things are going to get better now. Here comes somebody that's going to be telling something good about Jesus. Here's somebody coming. How many want to have that kind of testimony? When people see you coming, it's not going to be thought, well, it's all downhill from here because they're going to have some more bad stuff to talk about or some more smart aleck remarks. Oh, no, God help me to be so broken before you that I'll have something good. And wherever I go, that men and women and lost people, when they see you and me coming, they'll think, oh, here comes a Christian. Oh, God, help me to have revival. See, we complain sometimes that we don't have more power over certain things. Let me remind you today, my friend, we do have power with the devil. i got Bible for that. But we don't have power over the human spirit. You can't cast out bitterness out of people. You can't cast resentment out of people. They've got to work that out. They've got to work it out. They're the ones that have to forgive. I can't cast resentment out of people. I can't cast something like that out of people. But I'm going to tell you what. When you fall in love with Jesus and you repent of your sins and you begin to get a good fresh glimpse of Calvary, you can get rid of bitterness. You can get rid of an angry spirit. Oh, hallelujah. I feel in the Holy Ghost here today. I'm on target today with Jesus Christ in this message. Brokenness. The price of revival. Brokenness. Why does revival tarry? We're asked that so many times and we're plagued with that question in our prayers many times. You see, brokenness is an aspect of Christianity that I believe is seriously, seriously neglected in our day. We see amongst us preachers and saints and teachers of brilliance, but so few of brokenness. You see, so few that represent a thankful spirit. Oh, hallelujah. But in the Old Testament, there were various words that were used to represent or to delineate this particular concept of being broken. Each of these words had a distinctive shade of meaning. It may also be translated shattered, as was used in Jeremiah, the second chapter in the 13th verse, speaking about broken cisterns. It can be used as was in, in Ezekiel, the 27th chapter in the 34th verse, to speak of ships that had become broken in a storm. Or as in Ezekiel, the 34th chapter in the 4th verse, to describe a sheep that had fallen from a great height and had broken its leg. The word pictures are clear. Again, in Daniel, the 8th chapter, the 22nd verse, it was used to describe a goat's horn that had been broken by its adversary. Something was whole, something was hard, something was adamant, and now it has utterly been broken, and if you will, fragmented, and utterly pulverized. You see, brokenness is that frame, an attitude of heart that an individual takes before God in lowliness, confessing his need of divine grace and assistance. Oh, hallelujah. My Bible tells me that God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. I'm going to tell you what today, my friend, if you're failing every test and you're actually going to be dismissed from the class, I have a proposal to make you today that will spread all the way to the saints of God in our churches. They can enroll 
with Jesus and he will become their private tutor. If you're failing, he says, I'm going to fix it where you'll never have another bad mark on your report card. If you let me be your private tutor, I'm going to tell you. But that's only the one that will humble himself and enroll. You got to enroll in Jesus through His power and His grace. You see, grace is powerful. It's not a sissy attitude of God. It's a powerful force. It rushes in. It abounds. Another wave of His grace came in. Let's say praise the Lord. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Say hallelujah. But you see, sometimes we... Call men of God, we are too stinking proud to admit that we might be the problem. Oh, it's getting quiet in here now. Let me preach to me for a little while then, okay, if you, if you want me to. But you see, brokenness is like the soul, like the cistern empty of all of its confidence and its resources. Yes, brokenness is the soul, like that ship that was shipwrecked and now finds himself shipwrecked upon God. Brokenness is like the sheep that has been broken through its wanderings, and now finds itself lying at the feet of the merciful shepherd of souls. Brokenness is like the soul in the vision, the animal in Daniel's vision, this bereft of all of its former powers, and now finds itself submissive before Almighty God. You see, the term brokenhearted, the term broken in heart, are mentioned in Scripture only a few times, but the concepts and the full intent of God are demonstrated that it speaks of being contrite. It speaks of being humble. It speaks of being poor. I'm not talking about uh, no money. I'm talking about a person that is poor in spirit. The kind of a person that you get the idea that they really are hungry for God. I remember a while back a man preached a message and I, I possibly think that he may be a little bit too liberal and I may think I'm more conservative than him. But I'm going to tell you what, my friend. I don't care what kind of tag you put on anybody. You better remember one thing. When they're standing in the sacred desk and they're preaching the Word of God, don't label them rolling up the Word open. Let God take care of it. But that man preached me back to Calvary Brother Hedger I got up from my seat and I made my way to an altar not because I had sinned but no because God had been made real to my mind and my spirit was feeling it I wept there on that altar Ministers began to gather around me. I don't know whether they thought I was going to have a nervous breakdown, whether I had a financial failure, whether a bunch of people left my church. I didn't turn around and explain anything to them. I just prayed and cried. I just prayed and cried. And different ones of my brethren came up and put their hands on my back. And I could feel the strength of those hands. Bless my brother Grisham. Bless him, Lord. They didn't know what I needed. But I'm going to tell you, God knew what I needed. I needed to have a touch of God. We have to have a touch of God. We've got to have a touch of God. I'm preaching to you today. I'm preaching to you today. I'm talking to you about brokenness. A while back, some teenagers were misbehaving in church on a Sunday night. And I was so aggravated. Usually if I'm anointed, they could drop a bomb in the nursery and I wouldn't know it. But I must not have been near as anointed as I need to be that night. I was so upset by that misbehavior. And I had a burden in my heart. I wanted to preach. I was weeping and crying under the anointing of Almighty God. And I just felt, will everybody stand? I said, 
I'm sorry, Lord, that it worked out this way tonight, but I, I apologize to you, Lord, for the way of the disrespect in the service tonight. But Lord, uh, forgive us for not being more respectful. And I said, you're dismissing the fear of the Lord. And I went back to my chair and I knelt and I began to weep before God. Here come the precious men of my church gathered around me. That made me mad for about 15 or 20 seconds. They began to say, Lord, strengthen our pastor. And I thought, man, I'm not the one that misbehaved. I'm not the problem. And they begin to gather around. They come from all over the building to lay hands on me. Let me tell you what, preacher. You don't get too big and you don't get too good. But you don't need the hands of the brethren laid upon you. Brokenness. But then it occurred to me. I needed those brethren to lay hands on me. I need their support. I need their, I need their, their, their backing and the things that the church is going to do. Oh, I'm going to tell you what, my friend. I wish to God we could find out whatever happened to the G.T. Haywoods and all those men that could weep and cry and fast for a week on end and then come into the service singing a brand new song. I see a crimson stream of blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. My God, take us back to Calvary again. Take us back to Calvary again. Let us see Calvary again. Let's entertain the Lord here a moment. It's a Holy Ghost atmosphere here right now. Oh, God. Oh, God. Come on now. Reach out to Him right now. Reach out to Him right now. Hallelujah. 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 Right here in this section right here, there's at least three of you. God's really moving on right now. Come on. Let's reach out and touch somebody there right now. Let's pray with one another. Get a hold of a brother's hand. Come on. Get a hold of a brother's hand there. Let's touch the Lord right now. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, mighty God. Oh, mighty God. A number of years ago, Brother Bill Dross was preaching for a particular church. And this particular pastor told him, he said, Brother Dross, we've done everything we know to do in this church to have revival. He said, we've fasted, we've prayed, we've distributed literature, we've, uh, we've done everything that everybody says you have to do to have revival. But said, Brother Dross, would you... If you have a word from the Lord for me, would you tell me what might be my problem? Has the Lord told you anything? Brother Drost, as only he could do it, he said, yes. Brother, as a matter of fact, the Lord did tell me. He said, you don't love the brethren. He said, you don't love the brethren. You see, you can pray until you go crazy. You can fast until you can't hold your britches up. You can pass out all the literature that you can get printed. But if you don't love the brethren, God will never send revival. And to the level we love revival, we're going to love our brother. And to the level we love our brother, it opens up opportunities for God to do more than He's ever done. If somebody's done you wrong, if somebody doesn't do it the way you do, turn them over to Jesus and just love the Lord. Don't be a tool in the enemy's hand. Let's wave our hands and say, God, I want real revival. Real revival. Brokenness. The price of revival. 
Now that we could get a grasp on this subject today, I want to mention to you today in passing four distinct categories or four basic questions that must be addressed if you happen to be one of these that speak about revival. First of all, how is brokenness to be regarded by us? Secondly, how is brokenness to be recognized with regard to its features? Thirdly, how is brokenness to be realized and manifested in the church? And fourthly, how is brokenness to be retained and preserved? Let's examine some things today. I would just challenge you to try to remember how long it's been since you heard Calvary preaching. How long has it been since you've heard a bloody message and Calvary was portrayed and depicted before your eyes in such vivid terms that you could see blood and you could hear screams and you could experience cries and you could hear the thud of the beatings and the railings and all the things that our master endured. Calvary preaching makes us uncomfortable. But I'm going to tell you what, my friend, without the preaching of the cross, there will be few people, if any, saved. If we don't get back to bloody preaching, if we don't get back to Calvary preaching, all we're doing is doing a little ditty and getting out in time to go down to Big Boy and have a big time. But oh, I'm going to tell you, when you preach the cross, when you preach a bloody message, there's going to be something happen. And somehow or another, many of us have begun to consider ourselves the cream of the earth rather than the salt of the earth. We look at ourselves as being so very special. If somebody has noticed our holiness, we're insulted that they didn't notice it. And if they didn't notice it, we'll remind them, have you seen how different we are than the rest of the world? There's nothing wrong with being different from the world, but the attitude we take about it might affect how effective we're going to be in winning the lost. Help me, Jesus, to be as holy as I possibly can. But oh my God, help me to look at lost people the way Jesus looks at them. I'm not worthy of what I've experienced in God. Oh, but I'm so thankful somebody preached Jesus to me. You see, if we're really the cream of the earth, the whipped up batch of just puff and blow and air, by the time all the air goes out of it, there's hardly enough to fill a saucer. But I'm going to tell you, if you're the salt of the earth, you'll affect somebody. You'll affect their life. You'll affect their home. You'll affect their family. You'll affect the church. I preach holiness just like I suppose all of you do here. But I'm going to tell you about the time somebody comes up and begins to feel holy. I know I'm going to have more problems than I ever had before. Because about the time you think you got holy, you probably lost all you had. Because when you begin to notice how holy you are, you might have some real problems. The only exception to this is in new converts making consecrations to the Lord. One lady a while back came up and she said, Pastor, I want to get baptized. But she said, I don't know whether I'm ready yet, but I just really want to be baptized. And I said, well, wait a little while and we'll baptize you when you think you're ready. So that night she wanted to be baptized the water the pump wasn't working right and the heater wasn't working properly. I said, Laura, it's probably not the best thing to do tonight because the water's so cold. I said, let's wait till Sunday and we can get it heated up. She said, Pastor, maybe that's what I need is something just shocked the hell out of me. <laughs> she was so honest. She stood before the pulpit. She thought that water being cold might even be to her benefit. Oh, but I'm telling you what, my friend. I said, Laura, it's going to take more than cold water to get hell out of you. It's going to take the power of Jesus Christ. It's going to take the power that's in the name. 
But then when she got the Holy Ghost, she came to me one day and she's began to dress like the other people dressed in the church. She said, Pastor, I think I'm becoming holy. I think I'm becoming holy. I'm so thankful to see what God was doing in her life. I'm going to tell you when God gives us these new babies and they begin to see the, the things of God more clearly and they see church people laying on altars, weeping and crying over souls. It gives them a heritage that nothing can take the place of. Oh my God, we came into this thing weeping and crying on altars and I'm going to tell you what we're going to be weeping and crying for souls the day that the Lord takes us out of here. Affluence has reshaped our concepts. These suits cost too much to get all sweaty. I got one now. They're trying to do what to do, trying to figure out what to do. The lining shrunk up to where it looks like the suits just scooched up like one of these modern, uh, you know, bag jackets that people wear now. It's not the thing for me to wear. But what's happened, those Koreans didn't know that preachers sweat. And that thing is scooched up now to where they're trying to take it all apart and put it back together. She said, Did you wash this suit? I thought, no, I didn't wash it, but if you could see me the night at the Georgia camp, I, would, I didn't have a dry thread on my body. I was squishing around and sweating my shoes. That suit didn't have a dry thread in it anywhere, but I couldn't tell her. The anointing is what messed this suit up. It was the Holy Ghost and sweat and tears. I'd get another suit, but I'm going to tell you, I want to keep this anointing. Hallelujah. Why? This preaching of the cross, this preaching of Jesus Christ, these tears and this sweat... Don't take it away from me, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And as I in passing stated yesterday or last night, we have a trend now. If we're not very careful, it's going to devastate some of the things that are so precious to us. We have spiritual amas. We think we can sing them in. We think we can rub them in. We think we can exercise them in. I'm going to tell you, it'll take more than whispering la-la in somebody's ear. Leave your la-la's in your own mouth, my friend. Let the Holy Ghost give the utterance. I don't want to la-la anybody. I want to let God put the la-la in there. Hallelujah. Why? This is too precious to cheapen it with a bunch of la-la. I believe the old-fashioned gospel still works. Real repentance, it will be accompanied by change in your heart. And God can take care of himself when the matters of the Holy Ghost are come up. This right here is known as an altar in this church. I'm not a negative preacher, but I'm going to tell you, I've been all over everywhere and nearly, you know. And there's little need for the altar in most churches anymore. Little need. Because there's too much emphasis now on let's just stand and worship the Lord before we go. Let's just have a few moments in prayer. And a sinner may be under conviction, but you see, you can't predict when you're going to go home. But if you're going to go for prayer language and la-la, then you can stand and forget about repenting. But I'm going to tell you what today, brokenness has to come to every person that's going to be right with God. There has to be a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Painless birth, who ever heard of anything like that? You heard what Brother Hedger said today. <laughs> it hurts to have babies. 
You don't hear any mother praying somewhere, oh, God, give me triplets or give me quadruplets, you know. If she finds out she's going to have them, and then she thinks, oh, my God, you're going to have to help me now for sure. <laughs> but you see, it hurts to have babies. The church has to bear pain for babies. The flesh would never say no. The flesh know, knows that it has power and mastery over us until we learn to say no. And the church has got to remember that anyone that comes to God has to repent. And you and I need to get back to the basic things. If we preach faith and preach repentance, dead people won't argue with you about water baptism. But you see, so many times we fog up the issue with trying to preach the gospel and mix it up with teaching the doctrine. The terms in the Greek and in the in the in you know in the Hebrew and the noun and in the verb form, the gospel is preached and the doctrine is taught. The gospel is preached and believed on unto salvation. The doctrine has to be taught and therefore has to be learned. I'm still learning doctrine, but if we'd get keep it simple, if we'd preach repentance, if we'd preach a bloody cross and repentance, we'd get more people through. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm preaching to you today. And we've lived in this modern world to, to the extent that we almost feel there has to be a little bit of a womb scan to see whether we want this one. If it looks like somebody's going to be a little extra problem, it's amazing, you know, we want to win people that are registered Republican, conservative in their politics. Got two cars and a boat and a cabin. Money in two or three banks, and we thank God send me a revival like that. But oh, I'm going to tell you what, my friend, we got to take them the way the Lord sends them. Democrats, Republicans, uh, independents, or whatever. Lame, maimed, blind, sick, crazy, or whatever the situation is. Uh, the gospel, you cannot call them. You don't scan the womb to see whether you want to abort this one, my friend. A lot of people go back to the world because they don't feel the love in the church. Good friend of mine that used to be just as conservative as I hope I am now. And I don't use conservative as a put down to somebody I might think is liberal. That's just happened to be the way I feel most comfortable. They, they call it conservative when you kind of want to just be plain and, you know, just... What's wrong with plain to vanilla in the first place? What's wrong with holiness in the first place? Nothing wrong with it. What's wrong with Acts 2.38? What's wrong with separation from the world? We don't want to put labels on anybody. Say praise the Lord. But there's a lady come out to the church one night that had tried drugs and that God happened to send our way. We bang around on them and play catch with them for a whole service and wonder why God doesn't add to the church. Let's don't bang around on the sinner. Let's preach, to Je preach Jesus to them. Let's weep over their soul. She committed suicide and left a note. I tried sex. I tried drugs. I tried alcohol. I tried it all. Someone told me if I would come to your church, I'd find it there. I came. It wasn't there. I have nothing to live for. I'm going to tell you what, my friend, I refuse to preach about hell unless I'm crying my eyes out. I don't want to handle it as a subject or a threat to just hang out over a congregation. I don't believe that's the thing to do, my friend. When we talk about hell, let's be crying profusely that we don't want anybody to go there. 
Let's talk to the Lord just a moment here. Holy Ghost is moving right now all through this congregation. I know it as sure as I'm here. become guilty of spiritual genetics. We try to design the church for the Lord. We try to tell Him what kind of people would be acceptable to us. I'm going to tell you what they might be able to do a lot of things in a test tube to, to you know, uh, predict what's going to happen. But I'm going to tell you what, my friend. This wasn't done in a test tube. This wasn't done in a test tube. I'm going to tell you what really took place. God, who was spirit, had no beginning, robed himself in flesh, and in the incarnation came to buy back you and I that were lost and undone. This wasn't done in a test tube. We all would like to think that we could win the Gerber's baby convert. The healthy little dimpled face and the, the proper body and the rosy cheeks and all of that. And we'd all like to think we could win the Barbie doll type of person to the church. Got money in their pockets, don't have any problems. But I'm going to tell you, every person that we win in the day and age in which we're living, 99 and 9 tenths percent of them are so fouled up. They're fouled up in marriage. They're fouled up in their ideas. They're fouled up in their health. They're fouled up in their behavior. They're fouled up in their attitude. And let me tell you what, my friend. We need to remember that God brought us from that world. While back on, on the executive board meetings, I'll never forget the brother Kilgore. He said, you know, we're all looking for this normal sinner, you know, coming churches to become real good members of the church. He said, you know, it just occurred to me, he said, <laughs> that if there was a day that there was nobody having any legal disputes, there would be no need for lawyers. Be no need for lawyers if everybody had their differences settled. Nobody wanted to get a divorce anymore. If one day everybody was well, nobody even had a headache, nobody had a falling out, didn't have any relationship problem with anybody, there'd be no need for a psychiatrist, no need for a psychologist. And I'm going to tell you, if there ever comes a time when nobody needs Jesus, it'll be the fact that we're gone from here. But everybody I see today, the only reason the church is still here, the way I look at it, there's a lot of hurt and sick people out there that we're the only hope they have. So we've got to do a good job. Let's clap our hands for the Lord. Brokenness. The price of revival. Brokenness. The price of revival. A few years ago when my boy was 15, I was a little younger on a Sunday night, I'd preach my heart out. I'd knelt there by the pulpit and I was weeping and crying in my chair there. He'd come up and he said, Daddy, what's wrong with you? I said, son, I'm just burdened for lost people. And I put my arm over him and he just looked up at me and he began to cry too. I stated it very quickly last night, but I'm going to tell you what, my friend. I'm honestly believing more and more all the time if the men that are called men of God, lay people or preachers or whatever it happens to be, if we get back to tears, if we get back to brokenness, and we could get rid of this macho mentality that we have. It's not sissy to cry. Jesus was a man in every sense of the word, but he had strong cry and tears I've never seen any revival that amounted to a great deal unless there were tears tears of contrition tears of repentance tears of brokenness 
I had it to do over again. I had all my first five back home again that are married now and have their own families. I'll guarantee you one thing. Here's one old boy that would get in the floor at home more often. I'd bawl my eyes out for Jesus. I'd lay hands on my kids till they talked in tongues at home. I wouldn't wait for the church to announce a revival. We'd pray more. We'd cry more. We'd rejoice more. But we'd touch the Lord. I'm preaching to us here today. Let's entertain the Lord just a bit more here. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Everyone has problems. Most people I know have more problems after they get into the church than they did before. Let me explain myself. The devil wasn't in such a big fight for them before they got into church. He had them. But hell's hound dogs chases them to church every day. And hell's hound dogs chases them to their job every day. I had one a while back that to, from the time we baptized her, she went whack as a goose. And I say that I mean it from my heart. She went crazy. She's a nice looking lady and carried a briefcase, well dressed, businesswoman. And I thought, well, praise God, we've won a norm. Here's a normal person. We're going to really have something happen right here. We've won a normal person. We've got somebody normal now. Anybody ever felt that way? Friends, she went wacky as a goose. She began to do the craziest things. She began to discern marriage problems in people's lives, which was nothing more than her mind. And I was trying to correct her. I called a meeting of the, of the leaders of the church. I said, don't any of you women let her be seen with your husband or be alone with him anywhere at any time. I said, I hope that's clear enough. One morning I went to church, started the service on Sunday morning. My, my boy Darren came in and said, Dad... Uh, you better go outside, said Sister Linda wants you out there. Said she's caught a cab to church and said she needs $12 for taxi fare. And said, Dad, she's wearing a jogging suit. She's got straw in her hair and she's got two big dogs with her on a leash. Needs $12. I went out there and here's a pit bull and a big spaniel just jumping around at the leash. And on the other side of the fence in the church parking lot is a bunch of pit bulls over there. I said, Linda, what in the world is going on here? She said, Pastor, you preached that God looked on the heart and I wanted to please you. I know I've been out all night. I haven't been a good girl. I haven't done right, but I thought you'd want me here in the house of God. And I said, Linda, we can't keep these dogs here. And she said, well, Pastor said, these are trained dogs. But I said, the ones on the other side of the fence are trained dogs. And I said, we're fixing to have one of the biggest dog fights in the county. I sent two elders to take her home. Remember, I said two, not one. But you know what happened? She got into a church that loved her and put up with her funny business. How long has God been putting up with your funny business? Think of how long it's taken you to get as holy as you are and you still mess up every now and then. I'm going to tell you what, my friend. God's still working on me. He's still working on you. We've got to keep a contrite spirit and a humble attitude. But now she's got the real Holy Ghost. But is her problems all gone? No, she's still got a cigarette problem. Am I going to run her out of the church? No, I give her more chance of being saved smoking a cigarette than I do somebody's rattlesnake spirit that's messing up the church that looks so holy they're wrapped up like a hot tamale but they don't think they need God. Come on now, preach it to you. 
I didn't say you smoke cigarettes and all. I think you know where I'm coming from. But I know some people I've almost prayed they'd smoke a cigarette or say some bad word. So they think they needed God. Some of them mossed over, still look like holiness people, but their attitude doesn't speak of anything. There's no contrition there. They couldn't pray anything through. They don't have any attitude of humility. They're so proud of who they are. They think they're the cream of the earth. But my God, the Lord can change that. I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's love the Lord a moment here. How then is brokenness to be recognized? If you're keeping notes, first of all, how then is brokenness to be recognized? Let's just stop here before we get into that and let's just remember where we are. So few people kneel anymore in our churches. So few sermons about Calvary are preached anymore in our churches. And most people are just two together to weep anymore. Men are too macho. And Calvary preaching, if you've got an ounce of anything in you, will stir you to tears. It'll move you to an altar. It'll force you to confront the sin in your life. Let me just, in passing, give you another caution. The thing that sets us apart from this world is our doctrine and our holiness and our worship. If we're not very careful, we're going to allow ourselves to become those who only worship recreationally. Just fun stuff. Friend, I beat my tambourine, but I'm going to tell you what, recreational worship will destroy a church. If it's not spiritual worship, if it's not to entertain the Lord, recreational worship will destroy the purity of the simple gospel. When I was a boy growing up, we never heard words like, well, he dropped these watermelon tonight. Or, wow, wasn't that a church service? Or, my, what a deep move of God. No, whatever God had on the agenda is what we figured He wanted for that night. If we cried half the night, we went home feeling like it was just great to go to church. We didn't have any preconceived idea about what had to happen. But now we've become so recreational and so casual in our commitment. The thing that's destroyed the church of the living God is casual commitment and recreational worship. And I'm going to tell you what, my friend, until we get back to Calvary, till we get back to tears and get back to Calvary preaching, we can forget about revival. We can fan up an exciting service, but you can't fan people into the Holy Ghost. Let me remind you as well that there's only so much energy in the soil. Every service we confront stony places in the service. Hard ground, stony ground, wayward places. That happens in every church service. There's some wayward places here today. There's some stony ground here today. And yet there's some good ground here today. And the only thing that will produce is if the seed can fall into good ground. I'm talking to you about brokenness being the price of revival. I can remember Sister Willie Johnson preaching and singing us into the presence of God, wearing that tape and flipping it and singing. And she would sing, 
I sing because I'm happy. Down from his glory. Every living story. Flipping that cape. Weeping and crying. But maybe three hours early she had been over there crying over every one of those seats and anointing them with oil. I don't know what she thought the oil would do. I don't know that that scripture to anoint wood with oil. But there's nothing wrong with it. I tell you if I thought if I poured a quart of, of it on every bench and people get the Holy Ghost. I'd buy it by the case. But you see the thing that's going to work is when we get serious. Brokenness. How many of you with me today? But Sister Willie, I remember one night she says, We get our defeats and our victories all mixed up. And said what we thought was a tragedy was nothing more than a love tap from eternity. Oh, I'm going to tell you what, whatever God has to do to get you back on the altar, whatever God has to do to get you back with tears, whatever God has to do, He's going to break you one way or the other. You'll either be broken yourself and fall upon the rock yourself, or the rock will fall upon you and you'll be ground to powder. Brokenness. Brokenness. There's so much whistle stop preaching anymore. Little kneeling, very little of it. Everything's designed to bypass repentance. Just accept Him. Move on. Call a big boy. Tell him to light the candles. We repented. We accepted Him. Hoggy-washy. He has to accept us. And the only way He'll accept us is if we'll pause long enough. It may mean that we'll have to kneel for a long time. It may mean that we'll have to cry for a long time. It looked like it took longer for people to get the Holy Ghost back then. But I'm going to tell you what. When they come up out of there, they didn't have a prayer language. They had the real Holy Ghost. And they were able to get victory over sin. How is brokenness to be regarded? Psalm 34 and 18. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. And save us such as be of a contrite spirit. Here we see that the essential condition for God's presence and power is to have a contrite heart. A broken heart. Psalm 51 and 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart. Oh God thou wilt not despise. Here again we see this as an essential condition. Before God can accept us and place His favor upon us. You see, God takes no delight in offerings that are not accompanied by a broken heart. Isaiah the 66th chapter in the second verse. To this man will I look, even to him that is, that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. How long has it been since the preached word made you sit and tremble? The old hymn of the church. It causes me to tremble. Oh, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, 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 it causes me to tremble and tremble and tremble. Were you there? I thought as I was seated here on the platform earlier today, I don't know whether you remembered him, old brother Eaton, years ago. My, what a man of God. Used in the Holy Ghost. Used in gifts. Humble. I 
believe that the person that's going to be used of God, that's going to have credibility with the people, will not be the man that's tooting his own horn, talking about how many angels is packing around in his car with him. I'm going to tell you what, my friend. It's going to be the man that's humble. It's going to be the man that has an ability to put God where he belongs. It seemed like in those days, Brother Boffman, that when the man of God took the pulpit, it's like a gigantic lariat was thrown to the back wall. Boom! And then the preacher began to draw it up just a little bit at a time. Till it seemed like by the time the message was complete that we're all just pulled forward by the power and the anointing of the Lord. Till we were there and it seemed like the word was piercing. Oh, how long has it been since I trembled at the word? How long has it been since a preacher preached you on your knees? Preached you back to Calvary. Made you willing to go and ask a brother to forgive. Made you willing to lock up your jaws and quit using so much slack jaw and criticism. God, I want real revival. Forgive me for every ill word, every critical statement, every mind-boggling dream and scheme I've had that's frustrated the simplicity of the gospel. Put tears back in my eyes. Put me on the floor, on my face, and let me tremble. At His Word. Let's pray again. Oh. 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 It causes me to tremble. To the man. This man will I look even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit. And trembleth at my word. Again, brokenness gains the attention of God. Brother Boffman, I remember when Sister Pessing would come around to our churches, bring her little bedroll. That's back before we even had any idea the holiday it would ever be. She'd say, just give me a Sunday school room here somewhere. She'd teach the ladies and teach the people who would come during the day on prayer and fasting. And then maybe she'd leave town, roll up her little bedroll, catch a Greyhound bus to another town. Oh, the aftermath of those few days. Brother Hedger, I'm one of those. People would see me. I was wayward from the Lord. And they'd see me. Woody Rutherford would roll his buggy up to my buggy at the grocery store and he'd say, Charles, son, we love you. Ralph Stone would invite me over to his house to eat and I knew good and well what he's up to. I didn't want to go, but it wasn't because I didn't love him. It wasn't that I didn't recognize what he's up to and I appreciated it so much. But oh, I'm going to tell you what, my friend, the love of God was reaching out to my soul. I knew I was loved and I knew I was loved and I knew I was loved and I knew I was loved. But it took a tragedy to bring me to my knees. And when God spared my little darling baby, this now 43-year-old woman, I told the Lord, if you'll spare my baby, Lord, I'll serve you all my days. 
I don't know whether you can bargain with God. Old Dad McCutcheon took that baby in his arms. He said, Charles, son, are you ready to repent? You better believe it. I put my bony knees on the floor. I began to cry. I prayed through the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell you what, my friend. I went back to church and it looked like they took amnesia. They never remembered I did anything wrong. They loved me. They gave me a place in the church. But they had been a praying church. They had been a fasting church. There was power. And some things don't happen any other way and brokenness and tears and fastings. Boy, I've been working at it. I've been working at it a long time now. Have I been a perfect example? No, I haven't. But I'm going to tell you one thing. I've got a perfect God. And it was a good ten years, Brother Lepkin, before I could even stand and give a public testimony without weeping and bawling my eyes out. I try to sing. I sing Jesus is the sweetest name I know till I nearly went out of my mind because it was a precious name to me. It's still a precious name to me. And I finally asked the Lord, will I ever get to where I can sing or preach or testify without crying? The Lord said, just let me take care that myself. Don't worry about it. I'm telling you what, my friend. God puts those tears there. God puts that recollection of things that He has done for us. Oh, oh, oh. oh hallelujah. hallelujah. When I evangelized, I'd I'd prepare 12 or 14 sermons in advance. Stay up in the middle of the night and I'd get them red hot from God. Man, I'd, I'd go down the highway, Brother Fletcher. I'd listen to myself preaching in my mind. You say, would you memorize it? No, but it was so well engraved in my brain that my lips would be moving to what was going on in my mind. I'm driving down the highway. Then get into the pulpit, Brother Lumpkin. Open that Bible and just almost barely get the Scripture read sometime. And the Holy Ghost would send tears in my eyes. And I'd see an altar fill up before it ever got into the first point of my message. Does that happen because of me? No, it happens because of Him. But I'm going to tell you what, my friend. When we put our focus on Him. When we put our focus on Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, let's worship Him. Brother Swisher, I love you. Brother Charles, I love you. Brother McDonald, I love you. I want God to bless your church. Brother Elder, I love you. I love all you, brethren. Brother Moody, I love you. Oh, hallelujah. How many of you believe God wants to give us something that we've never had before? Come on, let's believe Him today. Preachers, let's get right before God and let's get a pure spirit. Once again, the 57th chapter and the 15th verse from which we launched our text. I dwell in the high and the lofty place with Him also. That is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble. And to revive the heart of the contrite. If you want to get up there with Him, if you want to be in a high and lofty place, the way to get the highest with God is to somehow scratch your way back to the foot of the cross again where all ground is equal and humble yourself before God. He will exalt you. He will give gifts to demonstrate His love and favor upon your life. 
So the key, of course, then to revival has to be brokenness. You see, we all are prone to want to buy into it like Amway or find out when somebody's making a little off of it and buy up their particular route and begin to draw dividends off of somebody's efforts. I'm going to tell you what, my friend, that's not the way revival comes. I'm going to tell you it comes just one way. Isaiah the 6th chapter in the first verse, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto them to the meek. Hallelujah. He that sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. God, you see, became a man to bind up broken hearts. Little old kids in my church, they don't have, they don't have a daddy. They don't have anything that's normal like we have. And I know that I can't hug and kiss them, but just so many years, little old children, little girls, but almost every service, one of them will want to come up and, Pastor, could you, could you hug me? Oh, God. Pardon me if I cross your theology, but I, I believe Jesus was so normal. I believe that He was so practical. He wasn't any spook. He didn't go around doing like that. He didn't have to get up and scream at people. He didn't have to rail at them. He could sit down on a stump somewhere and just little old kids would just want to come near to Him. Little old doggies would want to come and, and lick His hand. Little kittens would purr and rub up against His robe. He was so normal. Preachers. Why can't we come off with all this big shot mentality of us thinking we're somebody special? Why in the world don't we just get as humble as we can and just sit there? There's times I don't feel compelled to preach an evangelistic message on Sunday night. We got that from Finney in the first place. There's no need I have to preach repentance to my church every week to still prove I can preach evangelistic messages. There's times, but the morning when I just want to walk among the saints and love them, and love them, and love them. And preach to them and teach to them. And don't get the idea that preaching and teaching is two particular different categories of one really great and the other one just kind of somewhere. I'm going to tell you, I looked a while back and I saw that Jesus preached and taught in the same day at the same time. In other words, he got kind of fired up and he preached a little bit and it took maybe a half hour to explain what he's talking about. So we get the idea you're going to have a special teacher come in. I'm going to tell you what, my friend, if you're pastoring, 90% of what you do is teaching. Don't apologize for that. Enjoy it. You can get inspired teaching too. How many of you love the Lord? Hallelujah. Oh God. Oh God. Brokenness. 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 The price of revival. When I was evangelizing, I got into a realm of the Spirit that, you see, I've written a lot of poems, a lot of books and booklets and all, and I'm going to tell you most of the time, when I get the best things from God is when I'm feeling heavy. And if you will, down, I didn't say discouraged, I mean heavy. I kept a diary every day. I kept a journal how I felt in the Lord that day. It's amazing six weeks later when I look back at my journal and maybe the journal said, I feel a dark, heavy spirit here in my life today. I don't know what it is, but six weeks later I would find out why. Because the Bible says the Spirit only knows how to make intercession. We don't know what to say or how to say it, but the Spirit knows. 
Maybe the Lord would reveal an adultery that was taking place on the day I felt heavy. See, a man of God can't just wheel and deal from frivolous to serious and spiritual to frivolous. You know, it's good to have fun. But I'm going to tell you what, my friend. There are times when we have to get a hold of the horns of the altar and we won't even understand ourselves for a few days. But oh, don't be ashamed when you step to that pulpit and the tears begin to flow. You might be just on the threshold of having some of your greatest results when the tears begin to flow over the persons that you've got to save somehow from this lost, dying world. I know the Holy Ghost is doing work here right now. I love to shout. I love to talk in tongues. I love to jump up and down. I've been a holy roller at least once. But I'm going to tell you what, my friend. I'm not pushing for any particular effect. I just... To know Jesus is in this. Quoting from George Cookin in the 17th century, he says, Brokenness is that which God doth principally and more especially look after in all our approaches and accesses unto Him. Let me read that to you again. Brokenness is that which God doth principally and more especially look after in all our approaches and accesses to Him. Moving on, secondly here, how then is brokenness to be recognized? Here it gets a little deeper. A broken-hearted person recognizes the majesty of God. Oh, a while ago when they were singing, touch your people. Once again, I would have been even happy if they just sung that for an hour. Because the Holy Ghost was moving but still, you'll remember, there were times in our home church that from the time the music started when the service began, and on Sunday night, the youth service started at 6 and lasted until 8. We come out of a red-hot youth service after two hours. And the service began, and the chords might change, but the, the flow of the Spirit never stopped. We could go into a deep emotional move of God, weep and cry, and the Lord would waft us into another realm and we'd sing and shout. I watched my Uncle Sam jump on, up on a four-inch wide board that wasn't even nailed to the floor, just a modesty shield, and dance in the Spirit all across the platform with his eyes closed and turn around and come back on the same board four inches wide. You say, why did he do that? I don't know, but he did it. But I'm going to tell you nothing that we could have gone to in this whole wide world. Dale Carnegie didn't have any class that would be any better than what the preaching and the teaching was. Nashville didn't have anything better than we had there. Paris couldn't show us anything. Hollywood couldn't put on any show that would be better than being in the house of God. Because you see, we come to magnify the Lord. We come to praise the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. How many of you are thankful for what God has brought to you? Don't let anybody tear down our landmarks. Don't let anybody wash away the signs of our past. We do have a heritage. And there are times when I thank the Lord. I can't hardly preach a sermon without thanking God for my pastor. Was he perfect? No. But I'm going to tell you what, my friend. He had enough going for him to get my family saved. (laughs) Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'll ever be thankful. Wave your hand and thank the Lord for the man that brought you the gospel. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. A broken-hearted person recognizes the majesty of God. He's the one that's high and lifted up. He's, he's holy. He's sovereign. Oh, the awe of God. Oh, the awe of God. Oh, the awe of God. Oh, the power of God. No one can take away my recollection and memories of watching gorders as big as an orange go away in seconds. Or to witness someone having a leg lengthened as much as four inches. Don't tell me there isn't power in Jesus Christ. Friend, there's power in the name. There's power in the blood. I'm in awe of that great God. When a person is broken before the Lord, no longer is this simply a dead theological approach to Jesus Christ, but it becomes a deep conviction. A deep conviction. No wonder Brother Ewing can sing and preach so good. He's been broken. He's been broken. No wonder some of you have such a touch of God in your life. You've been broken. You've gone through some things. You don't feel all that important anymore. You just feel like, I'm thankful that I've made it this far. I'm going to tell you what, my friend. It's faith that's brought us this far. And God's able to take us the rest of the way. A broken-hearted person is deeply conscious of the meaning of sin. If you've never preached it from 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, the 10th and the 11th verses, it talks about what godly sorrow will do. It works repentance. Oh, what carefulness it wrought, Paul said. And yea, what revenge. You'd just like to say, devil, I'm going to get even with you. Old Dad McCutcheon used to stand up and we didn't know what in the world he's going to do next. He'd say, I get so mad at the devil. He said, I just feel like I want to bust him right between the eyes. And he'd walk around there and all the young people, you know, he'd talk about wanting to bust him, the devil in the eyes. But I'm going to tell you what, my friend. Who was the man I called the night my daughter was laying, dying in the living room floor? When you have a serious need, friend, you don't call any of these patty cake Christians. You get a hold of the wildest, weirdest, wackiest, most radical person that you know in all of your life, my friend. Because you don't want anybody coming over to your house and playing patty cake. You want somebody that's just as wild and you want them to get wild when they come. When your baby's laying dying of a fever. Thank God for the awe of God. Could it be that we've raised a generation of Pentecostals that don't understand how to woo the presence of God? If we're not beating and jumping and stomping and running and hollering and screaming and shouting and bucking and snorting, we don't know what to do. And if it gets silent, we think, well, somebody get something going here. But oh, God, help me to know how to woo the presence of God. Let's woo the presence of God here for a few moments. Just love Him out of your heart. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, bless my friend. Jesus, bless my friend. Give Him that revival, Lord, that He's seeking. Hallelujah. 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 Brokenness. 
price of revival. Mm. Broken-hearted person is deeply conscious of the mercy of our Lord. How many of you remember how great He was to you? The Old Testament prophet said, It's His compassions that haven't failed. Great is Thy faithfulness. There's times, Brother Morgan, when I just want to sing, Great is Thy faithfulness. Sing it with me. Great is Thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, Thy hands have provided. Great is Thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Just fix your gaze upon Calvary. Thirdly, as I hasten on, I know I'm holding you longer than I, than I should, but I've got to deliver this burden today. Third thing I want you to think about is how is brokenness then to be realized? We've considered how brokenness is to be regarded as an essential condition of the heart before God can bless us. I've tried to make us aware of the majesty of God. Oh, Lord. Isn't it great to be aware of Him? How many of you are aware of Him right now? You just know He's around. You just feel Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, how can we learn brokenness in our personal experience? How can it be achieved? Our human heart must continually be broken by the Word of God as it is applied by the Spirit of God to the point of our deepest need. Brother Leo Upton, when he came into the fullness of the revelation, I'll never forget the times that I'd spend with him. Been a Nazarene preacher. Of course, his wife had been in our church since it was started. Traveled with the Williamses in the gospel work. And Leo, when he came into this full revelation, oh, what a man of God. He told me one time in my early ministry, he said, Charles, he said, the time you spend in meditation before the Lord is equally as valuable to you as the time you spend in prayer. Because when you're praying, we're doing all the talking. And the Lord can't hardly get in the word edgeways. And I think sometimes we're afraid if we stop praying that He would talk. How many of you want the Lord to talk?